What's going on, guys? Philip Leo here with the Modern Day Sniper Podcast, and you are listening to episode 93. In this episode, Kaylin and I sit down after a couple of our hunts that we just did recently and just talk about our experiences on that hunt. Kaylin did a bear hunt, and I did a scouting trip for uh, some high country mule deer. And we also dabble a little bit into shooting from a tripod because, as you guys know, as a recording of this podcast, we are set to release our tripod masterclass, which is something that you're not going to want to miss. Hopefully, you guys enjoy this episode. We appreciate all the love and support. We are nearly at a million downloads, and we are coming up to our 100th episode of the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. So it's been over three and a half years since we started the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. And again, we appreciate all the love and support that you guys have given us these past few years. So stay tuned for maybe something nice once we do get closer to that 1 million download mark, as well as our 100th podcast, which we also talk about in the episode. So we hope you guys enjoy this one and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. We are at 909.9 thousand right now. So we have, we got some, some to go, but, um, we have 90,000 90, downloads, left. basically 90,000 downloads left. And, and if we get our poop in one bag, which we are making efforts to do, we should probably be able to hit that pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, considering it's been what, three years. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Who'd have thunk, right? What, uh, yeah. I mean, and honestly, like our podcast is what really kind of just help develop our, what, like what modern day sniper is. You know what I mean? Um, because it literally was just two snipers talking about sniper stuff, like what we're passionate about. And, and obviously, it's morphed into, you know, I would say, the focus of everything now right the, the 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 all the applications and um disciplines that we kind of float around right um which kind of birthed the the modern day rifleman because like i was actually just typing it up earlier for our article it was like you know if you're a if you're a hybrid shooter meaning like you dabble into everything but then like you know you peel back that layer it's like you're just a you're you're a rifleman regardless of what you know, area you find yourselves in when you're connected to a rifle, doesn't matter what is in your scope. Pretty much. Yeah, you still have a target to hit. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter what's in your scope or what rifle you're connected to. Shooting is shooting is shooting, right? I agree with that 100%. And there's just so many different ways to, to skin that cat. And I think the, that, you know, the message that we try to, push a push across or or put out as to like hey there's um there's many different ways to do this and you just have to be well versed in a bunch of different ways um we're going through the tripod masterclass uh, video list right and um tripod for hunting uses 
and that was uh, that's assigned to me. So I did the video, and it was it was interesting to think about that writing the script. Now we don't we don't like when I say writing the script, it's not like we're using a teleprompter. It's just the bullet points to talk about, right? In the in the pre production stuff. So. And in the grand scheme of things, like it, like selecting a tripod for hunting use is, it's not as cut and dry because you could have many different environments that you're shooting in or hunting in the, that's like met TSL, like boom to a T, you know, we got to look at that and say, okay, what's our mission. And you got to be diverse in a multitude, a multitude of different, uh, tripods. Right. So like I referenced the trip that I took to Africa in, uh, I think it was 2015. Yeah, I think it was 15. I can't remember, um, either 15 or 16, but we went to Namibia and we participated in this cull hunt. And, you know, there are some parts of that trip where things were happening super fast and we were shooting from standing, standing position on like the traditional shooting sticks, just literally sticks lashed together with cord. And man, sometimes you, those like things happen quick and you got to be ready to shoot within a few seconds of getting the rifle brought up to bear because you have, you might have one animal that you're selecting out of a, a whole group. But then when you bring the rifle to bear and you start moving, I could have like 60, 70, maybe even 80 sets of eyes on me. And so things happen really quick. You got to be able to read an animal's body language and, and like figure out in real time. So like, real hasty shooting skills and knowing what you can get away with is really important in those situations. But then there were also parts of that trip where it was like, Hey, we're watching baboons and you're taking all the time that you need to build a solid position. And, you know, I shot a few off of tripods there as well. So, but that was like a tripod, not a set of shooting sticks. And so you got to be well-versed in, in in multiple areas of the shooting discipline, right? You, if you're only good at one, one aspect, you know, it's going to be a struggle for you when you have to get put into situations where it's like, Oh, this is different. Uh, same thing with like, when was the last time you shot completely unmeaning no bag, just like throwing hard to hard contact and, and shooting no bag, just like right on a, a surface to uh. support. Oh man, uh, like that wasn't a demonstration or an actual like shot. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah, honestly, and I think that's um, really important to like to do that and to go. Yeah. Hey man, if yeah. I have to, if I have to shoot this way, especially if you're in a professional capacity, what you know? How often do I do that? And when I, do I have those? is my brain programmed to know what to expect when, when that shit happens and all of a sudden that sight picture is super upset and it's just like, Whoa, I didn't expect that. You know, that's, I think that's something important that needs to be trained on. So, but that's the cool part about this is that's pretty much what we did is we just started talking about things like this that piqued our interest and had conversation and dialogue about it. And I mean, obviously that's what podcasts are for, but I think sometimes, you know, um, the, the, the content or the quote unquote content, right? So content now it's like content, content, it's the biggest buzzword in, in the marketing world. But if the, if you're talking about the same thing over and over and over again, and you know, it just gets boring. And I think that we have a real diverse way of 
communicating about a bunch of different things because we're into a bunch of different things. We're not just like focused on one aspect. I'm glad you said that. Um, I think something that has definitely hurt us, I shouldn't say hurt us, but just something that like I've always been afraid of. We've, we've talked about this all the time. It's just like reusing old content or like beating a dead horse when it comes to like talking about a specific subject, right? So like for the most part, for the first, I'd say like 50 or 60 podcasts, I know exactly which podcast, you know, that we did, right? In terms of topics and, and whatnot and things to like try to avoid in terms of like saying the same thing that we would say or, or whatever. Um, but I, I was also reminded that it's okay to go back to them, right? Because again, I always find myself like, especially with this tripod masterclass, when I was doing demonstration, when I was talking through my position, just going back to the baseline, right? And uh, man, I cannot say this quote enough because I love it. It's, um, you know, that, that jujitsu quote of, you know, there's no such thing as uh, black belt techniques, only basic level techniques executed at a black belt level. And I mean, that's literally what, you know, we do as instructors, uh, as professional shooters, you know, there's nothing different that I do that I'm not trying to teach, you know, someone that's listening to this podcast or someone that's doing our in-person class or now someone that is doing any of our online training, right? And um, that went down this crazy rabbit hole. But uh, what, what I was trying to say is that like, I wanted to avoid like having to repeat myself just because there's, like you said, there's so much stuff out there. And I mean, nowadays, like everyone is saying the same thing, right? In terms of like the fundamentals of marksmanship, right? Like natural point of aim. Like I, I was just on YouTube the other day and just scrolling through other, you know, creators in the long range space and seeing how they're delivering their instruction and stuff like that. And, and now it's like getting to a point where like, you know, people are just regurgitating that, right? Natural point of aim, square your body. So it's like, okay, well, like how, how do you, how do you continue to separate yourself from that, right? Because it's it's now that's just being overly saturated. What does it truly mean to, you know, have a nice square body, to understand where your center of gravity is at, right? To have good bone support, right? How do you peel back that layer and make it for someone to truly understand that specific concept other than just a regurgitation or something on a slide that says, you know, three elements of a good shooting position is, bone sport, muscle relaxation, and natural point of aim. I, it has been like like three years since I've actually said those three things in class, just because it's like, they're, they're not everyday, they're not everyday vernacular, right? No one ever says bone support, muscle relaxation, natural point of aim, right? So, um, and not only that, like, and, and I think that's what, like, we're, when we go back to our podcast, like, why we were, I think, you know, we did well is because, you know, we were questioning everything that we were taught and what we were teaching at that point from that was stemming from years of our experience as uh, uh, sniper school instructors. I agree. And really, like you talk about that, there are a lot of, there's a lot of that regurgitation. But I think that what separates um, 
the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, is, is the delivery. How are you delivering the information, right? If you're regurgitating it, then, <clears throat> pardon me, you're regurgitating it. And it's very obvious how, how you actually deliver the information and how you make it relatable to the person that's trying to consume it. That's where the rubber meets the road. Um, and then being creative and thoughtful and saying, okay, well, how would I be able to solidify how would me as the teacher know that it's safe to move on with the student knowing that this concept's been solidified okay well then we have to especially in a class of 12 to 16 students you got to have specific control measures in place that you as the teacher can go okay here's my waypoints all right if the student performs this we've crafted this drill to highlight a specific skill and so therefore we put them through that and then they shoot it. And then we all, we have a chance to see what everybody is comprehending through the result of the drill. Um, and if you're, you need to be constantly creating your own stuff that supports your own methodology of teaching and training. Um, there's certain things that, you know, are, are generic in form, like natural point of aim, but you need to be able to learn how to explain it in multiple ways so that people can, can understand it. Um, and that's why we created the natural point of aim drill was to highlight and say, does this person really understand this? Because if they shoot the drill and they throw a shotgun pattern onto the paper, I know like immediately that student does not understand what I'm asking them to do. So it's and the problem is going to lie between point A in point E maybe, right? So those are the focus points that we go, all right, that, that dude needs some help there. Let's go check these points out, A, B, C, D, and E. And then, you know, if we have a student that shoots really, really consistent groups um, and has a flyer periodically, well, then that's going to be between, you know, E and G, so on and so forth. And that's why we put those things in place. So that way we can make sure that uh, everybody is at least to a certain degree moving forward at the right pace so that way we can continue to build on those concepts with new information um, then that's just I think that's the way that we've the way that we structure our program and the way that we teach that has been the best way I think for people to retain information it's not just like you know shotgunning a bunch of verbal or audible information and even visual information and then expecting somebody to regurgitate that stuff days later is impractical so and that's the, the other cool part about doing things like the tripod masterclass is that you get to say all right well i can shoot really well from the standing position but how do i communicate what i'm doing in a video to get people to understand it you got to be creative you can't just sit there and be like, uh, yeah, I do this. Well, no, you got to actually like explain how that e you even got to that point. You know how many takes, God, this is like Dakota, uh, my, he hates my you. Uh, intern. And yeah, there's so many times I'd be talking about something like perfect standing. Like, all right, put these pressures in and this is what you should see. <laughs> there's like bad recoil management, right? Like, yeah, if you, if you, if you offset the front leg and you square your body this way, or you, you can't your body, 
like your recall manager is going to be trash or not. And then I would, I'd be talking about that and I'd try to demo, demo it. And then my recall management would still be like perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it, I mean, it's way. just one of those things where like, exactly. It's like one of those things like, like, I, like I've done it so many times that I, it's hard. To, it's like, I have to force myself to get it wrong. Yeah. You're correcting in real time. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there was definitely a lot of those situations where like, I'm trying to demonstrate because on the, on the average shooter, yes, you're going to see it, right. You're going to see, you're going to see when you're not squared up, you're going to see when you, you know, you're, you're not being conscious of where your tripod like placements at or, or what surface you're using. Um, you're going to see that recoil management just, or the rifle and the, the tripod just hop completely out of your field of view. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to demonstrate that and slow it down in real time. But then, yeah, I'd be like, okay, guys, all right, this is what I'm doing. This is what I typically see with shooters because they're having issues with recoil management. And then I'd take a shot. <laughs> and then I just see my reticle would go right back. And I'm like, fuck. I was like, <laughs> okay, let's try, let's try that again. Let's try that again. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, it's hard to do that stuff. And one of the things that, I learned doing videos early on is that you start doing multiple takes it it really throws you off your balance you have to just you have to just have the confidence to roll with what you're going to roll with right if this is like the way that i'm teaching this in for our videos is if i had a group of students in front of me this is how i would be communicating this information and that's how i'm teaching to the camera right and it's not easy to do that um because in class you have the ability to like read faces and check body language and see what's going on. And when you're staring at the black ass lens where you're just like, Oh my God, it's, it, it's a little bit, um, you just have to, you have to get rid of the fact that there's nobody there and think that that the, the, the person is in the camera in that depth of the black lens, the black hole of the lens. <laughs> so it's good. It's been a lot of fun to get back to doing it right we haven't we haven't done a master class in a long time so and almost whilst we like honestly I, I saw a bunch of uh messages in the inbox probably when we started dripping you know some marketing assets for the the tripod master class and there's several people that ask if we were doing like a tripod dedicated class and that's something that i'd actually entertain is is like Obviously, I mean that is already wrapped into kind of like our advanced and our, our competition clinic class. or our yeah, ad, yeah our, our positional class, right? It's but like having a as as we've seen or as I've seen in this in the last four weeks, I mean even the last over ten years that I've been shooting from a tripod, the the technique which you use to shoot from a tripod is is just different than positional shooting, right? Especially when you peel back the layer of 2023 and the true essence from shooting of a tripod today with the, the modern advancements of, of chassis systems and, and, and tripods is the direct clip in, right? And sure, we show the, the other techniques, right? The four common techniques, shooting from a saddle, using a bag on top of a tack table, using a bag directly on top of the apex. But like when you're trying to like you know, when it's just your rifle and your tripod, like that's the true essence from shooting from a tripod. And that's what we do most of our, a majority of our demonstrations throughout the, the, the class with that, right? And yeah. I think you, you you said it best is the, the uh, your equipment is going to dictate the technique that you use. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I started um, 
I did a I did a demonstration um, for our sling section, and I just I just finished the edit uh, right before we got on the podcast, and I didn't even shoot from it. I was just using the I used an old Manfrotto, uh, like the old aluminum one ninety. 190 series with a ball with the with that crappy ball head that they have and i put a hog saddle on top of it and i was using um the Saco, uh the trg 22 and the amount of wobble that is in that tripod is like mind-blowing that that was what we thought was the cat's ass 15 years ago right that's that's crazy so now and then it was you, better than shooting sticks. I would say that shooting sticks would probably be better. Cause really, yeah, still, cause okay. I'm going to do, I have, so I have a section I have, um, I went to, went to the, the metal shop and I bought some tubes and I'm going to make my own version of standing height shooting sticks, kind of a, a replica of what I saw used in Africa. And then I'm also going to do um, wooden dowel rods, and I'm going to incorporate those into um, the masterclass for just pure, hey, this is what this looks like. And I can then very definitively say that this my experience with standing shooting sticks was better than a Manfrotto tripod, or it might be that, or it might not be that. I don't know, but I want to definitely put it to the test. Um, but that Manfrotto tripod, man, you have to... What I found was you can't like you have to rely on a natural point of aim because if you don't and any inputs that you put into that system, it's like a it's kind of like um it's a rubber band, you know, that's like been stretched halfway. And so any motion that you put into that, it like the the energy that's transferred into that tripod that has like all, almost that half-loaded rubber band type feel you get this lash back and forth and it just starts wom- wobbling and wandering. And pretty soon it's just like, oh, this, it starts oscillating almost. And you're like, fuck, I got to stop and start all over again. So what I found was that the ability to truly allow the that natural point of aim to show you where it is, where it wants to be, and then you directing it to the target. That's the only way to, to do those, those tripods. Is they have everything has to be neutral because they're just so flexible. So it's it's cool to be able to like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I need to I need to be able to do this with this tripod and so on and so forth. So it'll be, I'm I'm looking. I think that that's going to be a great addition to this masterclass. Is all those tripod reviews? It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and what's cool is is this is something that I really found, especially when we were doing our. Um, our uh, rifle hunter courses, um, you know, we've changed the name of it, technical rifle hunter, long range hunter. Um, but, you know, typically those guys around this time, August, it was specifically with the Stone Glacier guys that we just had, uh, they would bring spotting tripods or just like super lightweight tripod because, you know, the their consideration with, when it comes to selecting a tripod is just, hey, how much does it weigh, right? Um, and does it, is it enough just to support binos or maybe a spotting scope uh, from like a seated position that allows me to, you know, uh, obviously, you know, just stabilize the optic enough to be able to just find more country, see more country, and, you know, maybe put a phone scope on my spotter when I do see, 
you know, a toad or whatever the case might be, right? And and shooting from a tripod in the hunting community probably wasn't really, I mean, it's still not like... Widely accepted. You know, yeah, widely accepted, right? It's like, um, you know, now with the, the advent of like the general hunter um, and, you know, competitive shooters that are also hunters, you know, they've obviously adopted that. Um, but what I was trying to say is that like, what I was able to, to figure out with communicating to students about their tripod, because the last thing you want to do is tell a student that their tripod is trash, right? Yeah. And so I was able to like, be like, hey, you know, now you know your the limitations of your tripod, mm -hmm. right? It's like, yeah, you might not be able to shoot from the standing with it, but you can build a pretty badass kneeling position, which for most shooters, like that's going to be enough to be able to clear some kind of vegetation mm -hmm. or get you off that slope, you know, uh, to be able to execute a shot, especially, um, you know, it's, it, it beats that reverse, like weird downward, awkward prone, mm -hmm. right. When you're trying to shoot from one hill to another, right. Um, and, and stuff like that, or you do have some, you know, higher vegetation, especially out here in Wyoming, you know, it's funny that the, this podcast has turned from our scouting trips and your bear hunt to kind of more of a tripod mask class, but we'll get back hopefully there. the segues to it. So, yeah, yeah. So, so like perfect example last week when I went scouting for mule deer, I mean, I know Washington and Wyoming and Montana, like got a shit ton of rain. So like, dude, to, to, um, see the amount of vegetation that was in the country that we were at, it was about like waist high. Mm -hmm. If I needed to shoot something, I had to at least like thinking about it had to be at least in the high kneeling mm -hmm. to be able to clear vegetation if I had to shoot um, off the trail. Got it. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, so those are, you know, considerations to have, um, you know, when, when, you know, when, depending on the area that you're operating in. Yeah. Cause if there's nothing there to support people are like, Oh, I'll just go prone and use my backpack. It's like, nah, that isn't going to work for you when you got to shoot uphill at all not even close. Um, and those are the, those are the things that once you're made aware of those problems, you start looking around and it, like, I found myself doing it while I was hiking last weekend as well. It's just like, okay, if I had to shoot from here, where, did I, where would I shoot? If I, if, if I had a target of opportunity present itself, how would I, how would I solve that problem right now? Boom, stop, make a wing call, identify what position that would be the best for that scenario. And I didn't necessarily set it up obviously on the hike, but, um, that's a great way to train. That's just a great way to train by just hiking, right? If you're in an environment, like you've been to my place, like right up the road is the hundreds of thousands of acres of public land. And you can just, you can hike and then carry your rifle, pick out a rock and say, okay, that's the target right there boom, I have to get set up. How fast is it going to take me to get set up? And so those are, those are really important things that, that I think a lot of hunters out there take for granted. Um, when it's actually time to bring, like, especially if it's a, you know, a chance contact scenario, which can happen. I mean, it certainly can. Um, one of the, the biggest bear I've ever seen taken ever at all of all times was uh on luke uh luke carrick's bear hunt he drew a spring tag in washington a long time ago and uh last day of the trip last evening last glassing session of the trip we pick up from glassing we head back to camp and boom 
literally like look left and there's the bear across the canyon and within probably less than 60 seconds the thing was dead at 380 something yards away so it happened really really fast and um you have to be prepared for those scenarios yeah the when i did shoot from so i've shot again very minimal hunting experience but the three animals i have shot from a tripod my elk and antelope or two antelope i guess my first antelope ever was a seated um and i did that I, I think I did that main out of spite because when I was at Gunworks, like I, I would hear all the time, like the hunters be like, there's no, much, there's no time to, to, to mess with a tripod in a hunting scenario, you know? Yeah. Heard that all the time. Uh, I was like, okay, well, okay, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then for my, for my, for my elk hunt, because of the amount of snow that we're in and, and the angle that I shot him at, like it, it just required a, a tripod. Um, and then, <clears throat> my antelope hunt last year because of the sagebrush you know i was in like the low low kneeling um so it's just it's just such a it's it's such a important skill to have i know we're beating this a, a dead horse but like if you're listening to this and and um you know you are on the fence of of buying a tripod like don't you know mm-hmm. i would say at the end of the day you know a, a tripod yes it it will support any kind of optic right um, but what I would consider first and foremost is actually I just finished up writing an article about this, which is a part of the class in module two, which is like how to select a tripod, right? And we have our own individual videos with competition use, sniper use, and hunting use. But like just for the general masses of like, hey, how to select our tripod, like for me, the very first thing is what am I shooting, right? Because that's also going to like answer the question of like, what am I shooting from that tripod yep. like how heavy is the rifle what how kind of cartridge you're shooting right how much recoil right because once i establish that then for me the second thing about a tripod is like okay well how tall do i need it mm-hmm. right do i want to be able to shoot from the standing do i want to be able to glass from the standing um you know because what we found out really quickly especially in the early days of shooting from tripods is that the, the 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 tripods did not support uh, our baseline standing position, mm-hmm. and so through years and years of 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 techniques, which you go over in the evolution of techniques and the, the history of tripods, like you know we were we were teaching guys to lean their whole body weight into the tripod, not because like not because that, that was a thing. That it was well, it was the only way to shoot from a tripod at a standing position. Mm-hmm. It was. Because they only can, they can only get so high, right? And you had to utilize the sling. You had to clip in in order to get that wobble out and find that gain that extra stability. But then when you peel back the layers of like how sustainable that position is when you're when you're talking about wearing armor and kit, it's just ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you know how tall a tripod needs to be is important to me. And then the third thing is like how much can it weigh? Like, what is the most amount of weight I'd be willing to tolerate with this specific gear? Oh, right. Again, depending on your application. Yeah, what are you doing right? with it? It's like, yeah, it's like as a as a competitive shooter, most people are not worried about weight. Their rifle already weighs 30 freaking pounds, mm-hmm. right? And they're most likely, if you're a PRS competitor, let's be honest, unless you're like working in super tight spaces and you like to use your tripod to shoot from to like dry fire, that's fine. But like, if you look at, PRS competitions, 
Like, I'd be surprised if someone said that they shot at least one tripod stage per match. Yeah, which you don't see probably it. at least one tripod stage per ten matches. But if you're like a you know competition dynamic shooter, NRL hunter shooter, maybe shooting the team sniper matches, yeah, that's that's important too, right? But like, if you're a PRS competitor, you're most likely just going to buy that buy that uh, tripod as a workstation to support glass and now have like tripod caddies where you stage all your gear and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, you would typically going back to that first consideration is like, you probably want it tall enough to be able to sit in the standing or the stand with it to observe because that's just like how normal people or just everyone is just using their, I mean, the amount of tripods you see at matches nowadays, yeah, it's right? Hilarious. It's hilarious. It's like a C you can't even walk through them. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. I just, I found out the benefit of, you mentioned glassing from the standing position and, um, I didn't ever, my tripod that I used to use for hunting before I got this, uh, ascend, it was just, it was sh short. Number one, no way it would be able to support an optic with any realm of, of, um, stability in the standing position. And so I'm always relegated to sitting down and glassing and, um, I used my I used my ascend on a trip um, a couple seasons ago, and I was like, "Oh, I can stand in glass. This is badass." It just completely shifts, you know. Instead of sitting there for eight hours a day, I can actually vary it and break it up and stand, and 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 it really helps kind of break the monotony of just that one seated position of glassing all day long. So that is nice. And then the ascend, I have the long version, which a lot, which I can. I'm six feet tall you'd most definitely be able to shoot from the standing. Um, and I can, and, um, I can do that with that center column, um, non, non extended, which is huge for stability factor. But, um, so yeah, and expect to see, expect to see a lot more stuff. It's coming, it's hunting season. Um, uh, you know, it's hunting season here in Washington state. There's our bear season is opened and, um, you know, I, I went out last weekend, uh, tried to find some bears, got skunked in one canyon, and then we got smoked out, which was kind of a bummer, um, which is, it was just the, the way it always works, right? It's beautiful, sunny, and I suppose it was supposed to be really hot, but um, yeah, beautiful and sunny. And then uh, the next day it's just sucked in. You can't see four or 500 yards. So it really makes it pointless to be in the mountains when it's like that. But um, how'd your how'd your scouting yeah, trip that's, go? That's an, yeah. So this year I am doing me and my uh, good friend Michael out here. He, he's um, a federal agent for U.S. Fish and Wildlife. He uh, we've always wanted to do the um, high country mule deer out here in mm -hmm. in, uh, in Wyoming, um, and uh, it for for non resident units, it's a pretty special unit, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh for us it's just general right and so i was like okay like let's do it and so um i'm actually been doing obviously uh, i've been talking about it uh in the past but uh todd's um human predator pack mule mm -hmm. um, program it's been awesome phenomenal uh because i knew like i wanted to like actually be ready for hunting season right because like i know mentally i could i could you know for the last couple couple years i could go on a hunt but like being mentally 
you know, like hard and then like actually being like, okay, when I get to a destination, I don't want to be like smoke checked and be like, uh, I don't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I realized that's what I was doing. I was like not giving myself enough attention in the preseason to where like I'd get, you know, I'd go on like a two mile hike with the camp and then I'd get there and I'd be like, damn, like I'm a little sore. Yeah. Right. And so to avoid that, I started doing a program and it's helped out anyways. Uh, I, I digress. Um, so we went to um, the high country. We're averaging about um, 8,000, 8,500 feet mm -hmm. um, up to 10,000. And uh, it was cool, man. It was it was super cool country. Uh, made a critical error, though. Um, and that critical error was not paying attention to the weather where I was going to be hunting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, before we left like it was like 95 degrees, yeah. right? Like 95 degrees, no chance of rain in Cody. I was like, oh, like, I don't need this. I don't need that. <laughs> and drive six hours later down south to, toward the Tetons and you're like, oh God, I've messed up. Yeah, I screwed us up bad. <laughs> because it, it it was, it was, it was, it was like raining and like the, the temps dropped another 20 degrees and I was like, oh crap. And, and so thankfully, you know, having good good mentors such as yourself to get ready to you know hunting you know one of the things that like you always said like dude i always like even if i'm not bringing rain pants i at least bring a rain jacket and so i i, I at least brought a rain jacket and i made sure claire packed one because she went with us as well and so um it was good though we 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 hiked five miles into the country um it was about a 2500 foot ascent from base camp or from where the, the trailhead was 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 barked and we saw we saw about over twenty bucks. That's good. Um, yeah, it was. It was, and it, it's crazy too, because you know, for the last three years that I've been out here, uh, since my elk hunt, I've been kind of just focused more on like looking for elk than mule deer, because mm. mule deer are a little bit, you know, just harder to see, and they're not like herded up together, right? So um, it's just completely different style of hunting i guess you would i yeah. would you would say in terms of like what to look for sure you know and I, I kept thinking about like can owen's podcast that we you know we did so many so many months ago priming your brain and so when i when we got to our first camp and we started glassing like perceptually i was trying to figure out like okay what am i looking for mm -hmm. right Cause like, it's like, I, I don't, I can't determine like size. Like, I, I don't know what size I should be looking for right. in terms of like their body, what their color is. Right. Um, and then I finally saw one like 30 minutes right before dark and like, boom, like instantly, like once I saw it, I was like, okay, this is what, this is what I need to look for. Right. right? And they started kind of popping up in my, in my field of view. So that first night we ended up seeing like at least like seven of them. And they're all about the same age. Um, I'm not sure about you, but Wyoming got pretty bad winter kill because mm. um, of the because of the the the, uh, the snow, obviously. And um, so we're we were expected to be down like seventy percent oh, wow. of our deer population. Yeah, yeah, that would. I mean, the the Washington State deer population is at abysmal levels, and we certainly can't afford to have any more winter kill. Um, it's, it's really rough shape with, uh, not being able to recover from some pretty severe winter kill, uh, several years ago 
to increase predator populations through mismanagement. It's, it's a mess here. Um, but it's, I mean, there's still, there's still good animals. You just have to, you just have to put the time in and work and find them. Um, and that's really like what you're doing. Like when you go scouting, like that's for me, that's my kind of my favorite thing is checking out new country and seeing what's out there and, um, finding animals and, uh, then going, okay, well, my, my, uh, cause every trip you go, you find thing and, and it builds your confidence level. And so then you have the confidence to be like, Oh, I could go into this area and having never seen it before, or never put boots on the ground there. I can do e-scouting and map reconnaissance. And then I can have a pretty good idea of, am I going to, I'm going to see animals here. And I'm saying this because, um, we actually, I actually got skunked last weekend. Um, we, I thought for sure that this basin that we were hiking into was, was going to have bears and it looked, and it looked like it, it had bears. However, the berries, we were hunting in the, in the North Cascades. And if you're in the North Cascades, the, it's way different than like where I took you in the Blue Mountains. The Blue Mountains is all, it's different. It's dry. It's hot. Um, they're not as high. The, the, the blues only top out at like five fifty five to 6,000 feet. Whereas, yeah, we were in 7,500 foot, 8,000 foot country uh, last weekend. So you want to look for huckleberries. The bears are all, if you can find huckleberries, you're going to find bears. And the huckleberry um, crop will will move it higher, higher and higher as the season goes, right? Obviously, the lower elevation berries are going to kick off first, and then the higher elevation berries are going to kick off later. And um, we just were not seeing berries at like 6,000 feet, 5,500 feet. We weren't seeing them. But then when we did find them, they were way up at like 65 to 7,000 feet. And that's really hard to find um, a lot of bear country at those altitudes. And so we hiked into the basin and we, we, um, it was like seven, eight miles, seven, eight miles in and uh, did some glassing. We saw a bunch of deer, a lot of deer, um, but, uh, and, and a bunch of mountain goats, but for two days, it was like no bears and we weren't finding berries on the hike in. And, um, it was kind of like we, I had it in the back of my mind. I was like, ah, oh, we might have to bail out of here. Like if we don't see, I was, we were slated for a five day trip. And I was like, man, if we don't see anything next by tomorrow morning, we got to get out of here. Cause there's nothing here. Um, and we got to cut our losses and go find someplace else. So in the process of doing that, um, we got all that smoke that moved in. So it kind of killed the trip, which was a huge bummer. So it is what it is, but we got all season left and, um, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I got a couple other spots. I didn't go into the blues on this trip just because of the heat. It was like 98 degrees in town. And usually when it's that hot in town, the blues is not much cooler. And as you can remember from going there, we went in August and and it was pretty freaking hot. So you're sitting on a hillside freaking roasting. That's not the place you want to be. So, especially in the mountains, I could see that like in Wyoming for antelope and stuff like that, or Montana for antelope, but not for, not for fall bear just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to make those, those decisions on the ground. Right. Cause like you're almost like you're, you're kind of contemplating, you're like, okay, well I'm already X amount of miles in. It's like, do I push even further? 
right? But if you push further, then you got to think about like, okay, if I really shot something, you know, like now I got to now I got to get it get it out of here, yeah. right? And that's one of the things that, yeah, that that I like really learned from like you and then in Clayton, just like, hey man, like, sure you, you can go deeper and you'll find something, but like responsibly, like especially if you know you want to you want to save your meat and. Like, you know, in terms of like when you, what time of day you shoot it at and how long it's going to take you to actually get back. Um, you know, all these, all these things start to, to, you start compounding in terms of considerations. Yep. So that's a, that's exactly what happened to us on this trip too. We, uh, the second morning, um, we got word or the, the first evening we were there, we got word from, uh, some through hikers that came by a group of lakes and they said, Hey, um, there's, we saw this bear, uh, we saw a bear by itself. And, uh, the guy was like, yeah, there's berries. And I didn't realize how far away this place was. So we were like, all right, cool. Then if we don't see anything in the, in the main basin tonight, then we're going to pack up. We'll walk out in the dark in the morning and cover the ground we need to cover. And, uh, and get there. But I didn't realize that it's like, it was another four, another four miles, uh, from camp and about two and a half thousand feet more up. And same thing, you know, we get there, we do the hike in the dark and it was a little bit of an adventure. Had to cross a, a couple of glaciers that were a little on the sketchy side, but that's, that's mountain fun for you. Um, and then by the time we actually got to a place where we could glass into where these, this hiker supposedly saw this bear, it was like, dude, no, like, no way. It's just not, not tenable. Not anything that I would want to do anyways. Like, sure. I, you know, you could do it, but, um, it's not tenable. It would, it would have added another, uh, yeah, it would have added another four miles from the truck. And then another, just if you saw a bear, you'd have to cover another mile and descend 1500 feet just to get a place to shoot. Right. And you know that from, from being in, in, in the mountains a couple summers ago where you're just like, Oh shit. Okay. Like this is a major commitment. So if you're in, you're all in and you could be, you could be sorry if, uh, if you decide to do something that you didn't really think through. So we, I noticed it right away. And the guy that I was with was just like, yeah, we're not doing that. I mean, we'll just sit here in glass for the morning. Cause we're here, uh, see if we see anything, but, um, even there's water there, right. It's by a, by a lake and it's just like, yeah, but still, it's just like, I'm not doing that. Um, that's no, that's too much. So we can definitely find bears in more accessible places, but it's, I mean, bear hunting in Washington's gaining in popularity. There's a lot more people that are doing it now. Um, and uh, I think it's a good thing. It obviously needs to happen because they took our spring bear season from us for some real ridiculous reasons. And um, these animals have to be managed. They're really putting a hurting on our undulate population big time. So bears and, and then cougars because they can't, you can't hunt uh, cougars with dogs anymore. And so it's just really exploded that population. And um yeah, we, we kind of thought about calling bears in too. Um, that was something that was like, ah, we, we might be able to do that. But then we said, well, there's no berries here. So that's kind of a, a useless thing to do. But um, next place I go, I'm definitely going to keep that in my pocket because listening to Zach at Stone Glacier and, and his successes in predator calling bears, I think that that's a really viable option to do if you're in that situation. Then I'd love to try it out. 
dude, I was uh, I was just thinking, it's like, man, I've only seen one black bear on a hunt, which was the the, the hunt that you and I did, mm. the first backcountry hunt I did with you, or just in ever. That and, was a um, big bastard too. Since then, it's. It, 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 it since then it's just been grizzly bears <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, not the bears it's like oh, i'm glad i see it. yeah it's like i'm glad i'm looking through looking at you through a scope right now yeah man no it's not uh, uh same here in washington too dude they're thinking about putting bears in they're thinking about putting uh, grizzly bears in here and that is really yeah they've been trying to do it for a long time and it's one of those things where it's just like dude you know, we're, I guess you could say we're spoiled here. I know there's grizzly bears in Washington state. Um, s- several of my friends that I trust have seen them. Um, but I think that there's just so f- few and far between at this point. But if you start introducing purposefully these, these apex predators into this area, um, and we're spoiled, right? We, we don't, I mean, we, we say we don't have to worry about it, but our, I just, our population of grizzly bears is not dense enough but like you start bringing those populations up to like montana and wyoming levels that changes the whole dynamic of everything right it changes it changes everything about how you hunt in the backcountry and even in the front country for that matter there's places where you know la- uh, last spring did that montana hunt and um there, there's f- grizzly bears everywhere right so you really got to pay attention to what you're doing it just changes things but um I certainly hope not. Our our undulate population does not need any more apex predators in Washington State. So, um, yeah, let's not do that. That's that would be a bad idea. So, yeah, man, I'm just uh, I'm excited to get this tripod masterclass out, and um, we've got some we've got a training event happening in Texas, you and I, and right after that, you guys have Ohio Range Day. And right after Ohio Range Day, um, my Washington Hive Country Buck Hunt opens from September 15th to the 25th. And I fully intend on uh, participating in that whole trip. I'll have it pretty much blocked off. So that way I've got enough opportunities with weather and stuff that comes through. I learned lessons hard long ago, man. Like I I used to be hard and I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go suck it up and sit in my tent and whatever. Yeah, no, don't do that watch the weather if it looks like it's going to be garbage and trash because guess what the animals don't move in that stuff anyways they're not stupid they lay down and you're not going to you could sit out there in the in the in the rain and get soaked and then and then you're not seeing anything and then as soon as that sun comes out everybody's just like oh yeah man let's go get some sun and eat some food everybody comes out and uh, enjoys the nice weather and so i want to make sure that i have room for weather as it comes and goes. But, um, yeah, I'm excited about, I'm excited about this Texas class too. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. The Texas, uh, the wild ranch. Yep. The wild ranch. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm excited. We just had a meeting with, uh, Skinta yesterday and, um, it's funny his, uh, his, his remark about, I, th- I thought those guys just do PRS and, Oh yeah. And hunting, which I could see that. I mean, like, I guess, like, I haven't posted much about sniper stuff other than, like, nostalgic pics just because it's, like, you know, like, I'm so out of that realm. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to 
think about or try to post something that is with regard to you know sniper tactics right because mm -hmm. that's what it is right you would be posting but like shooting is shooting right I like agree. we talked about earlier like I, like i don't have to you know dress up in a ghillie suit <laughs> or shoot in an urban hide right to, as as clickbait to right you know to create cyber content right because it's just like i mean if i'm shooting a you know 25 pound 647 yep. or a 16 pound 308 like yep. you know like i don't know it's just it was a very interesting comment but no i'm excited because like i i do enjoy like one of the things i i, I love about again our, our our the the customers that we serve is again just the fact that we're not you know one trick ponies right mm -hmm. um and and to be able to to go back to our roots and teach snipers you know because that's where we learn our skill sets from but being able to take the the lessons i've learned from hunting from competitive shooting mm -hmm. right and then now talk to snipers about that right because like you know in hunting that's where you truly learn the art of patience yep that's a hundred percent man and like like the like being a sniper and that that's all being a sniper is like you're a hunter the art of patience and 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 knowing knowing other skill sets like calm and and you know your your evasive plan and camouflage but it's like you know you like i didn't really embrace that until um or like just like other than what the marine corps taught me like i didn't really truly like understand the depths of that until i became a hunter Right. You know what I mean? You you look at it and you go, I'm this is literally what it is. It's you're hunting and, and it's a mindset. And and like you said, there's all of these other ancillary tasks that that are that stem out from that, right? And so you still have to be proficient at those tasks in order for you to present yourself or put yourself into a position to see an opportunity. Right. Um Man, Robin Hurt said it the best. He said it, and I'm going to mess this up. I, I need to I need to recall this, but basically, he said, um, Robin Hurt's a, a, a super famous professional hunter from Africa, and and he's the guy that we hunted with um, in Namibia. And he said, hunting is nothing more than putting yourself in a position to have an opportunity for a chase. Right. So that's all you're doing. You're just putting yourself into a position where an opportunity for a chase may present itself. Right. And that's like the scouting aspect. And like you're trying to find just, you're trying to find the most high percentage location where the probability of finding an opportunity for a chase is the highest. And, um, and, and that's the same thing with being a combat sniper, depending on your mission, right? Like if you're just, if you're out in support of a unit and you're trying to put yourself in the most advantageous position possible to support that unit, you got some freedom of movement. Hey, okay, well, no game's on. Or like IED mitigation, stuff like that. We did that, we did that so much. And that was pretty much like looking at a map and going, okay, if I was a shithead and I was trying to blow up some some dudes where would i where would i do that where's the most advantageous point for me to do that and that's pretty much what what it is is you're on a hunting trip and it's a mindset well shit man this was a good one too i, I dig it time flies when you're having fun
Yeah, if I'm being honest with you, this is probably one of my favorite ones that we've done in a while. <clears throat> um, yeah, it does. Um, to everyone listening, we appreciate all the love, the support that you guys have had with Modern Day Sniper, the podcast for the last few years. And I know I say it probably at the end of each podcast, but I truly mean it. I am grateful. We are grateful um, that we have such an awesome audience. Um, I'm able to watch my daughter grow up um, as a result of your guys' support. You know, so even if you guys are just listening to the podcast, you guys are supporting uh, my ability to show up as a as a dad to to her, and that's why I say this because um, there's nothing else that I'd rather do um, other than teach people how to be proficient behind a precision rifle. Um, and uh, I'm able to do it with good friends and uh, good mentors. And uh, we truly appreciate that everyone that listens to this podcast, you guys help support that for myself and Kalen. So, yeah, man. Yeah, that's uh that cannot be reiterated enough. And all of the, all of the support uh, over in the modern day rifleman network that is just created. That's, that's just been, it, it's uh, I, I, it's created a life of its own, right? So there's so many good things happening there. There's so many good people in there having conversations and talking about things and, and like people that are truly interested in, in getting better, truly interested in, in taking a holistic approach to getting better. And as they discover more about like, Hey, if I want to get better, this is what, um, this is what I got to do, right? This is how I have to do that. So I have to take a holistic approach. It's not just shooting. There's other aspects of quote unquote, getting better. Um, and that's really what this network is all about. So I am, um, I'm super stoked, super stoked to be a part of it. Cool guys. Well, uh, lastly, I'll, I'll, I'll touch off with this. Um, check a look at our training schedule. We've got a few classes going on for the rest of the year. We'll be down in Utah in October and uh, that's Price, Utah. And then um, November, or uh, sorry, October, Jesus, October when you you're in Utah, we're also in Indiana <clears throat> for a LE skills clinic, but that's sold out, isn't it? Yep, that's sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, in October, and then November, we've got Pig River. Those are those slots always go pretty quick, yep. um, and th- that'll fill up fast, both intro and scope carbine and then uh, november you and i have a nebraska hunt that's right as well that's after pig river um, or before that's after pig river yeah that's right yeah yeah and then and then december we have arizona yep and that's going to be awesome that, is that it, class is Fe- filling it's up that's in that's in, in phoenix isn't it yep it's right outside of phoenix um it's going to be awesome man. Phoenix. Yeah. we're going to be shooting on dylan's uh dylan's range uh, dylan arrows range um it's called the flying bucket and i think it's a great place it's going to be an awesome class and um i've always wanted to shoot out there and uh chris is just starting to continuously develop the property and turn it into um a shooting park so it's badass looking forward to it so and uh yeah man you guys just keep hanging out. We're, we're going to have a lot more episodes coming up. We got a lot of hunting trips planned. So a lot of podcast content coming your way. And, um, 
If, uh, as normal, if you guys haven't checked out the Modern Day Rifleman Network, please do. It is, uh, it's an awesome place to hang out with uh, other like-minded individuals, and you can escape all of the social media drama that way. So, yeah, man, let's get after it. All right, guys. Until next time, keep your face on the gun. Later. <laughs>